Hello, everybody. This is Vicki Demert. I am hosting a special edition of Talking with Humans with Darcy Wilcoxon. Hi. Hi, Darcy. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. So today we're going to be talking about um, parenting, attachment styles. Um, but before we get into that, I want to kind of hear uh, your story, how this became something that you uh, delved into and, and learned about. And um, so, yeah, if you could kind of just tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. So my name is Darcy Wilcoxon, and my husband and I have four children. And um, when I when I was starting to have children, I did a lot of re- parenting books, read parenting books. I um, my degree is actually in early childhood education, so I kind of just felt like I knew, um, kind of I, I guess kind of knew what I was doing. I mean, mm-hmm. I knew I wasn't gonna be a perfect parent. I wasn't thinking that, but I just felt like I had a grasp on. Um, how to train up the kids to be obedient and um, well fast forward many years and lo and behold it's harder than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you read all the books. I read all the books and um, it was it was harder than I thought and I one child in particular uh, as junior high and hormones and development and everything um, our second Jacob um, struggled a lot and struggles with anxiety and depression. And he has since given me permission to share. And I, we won't focus on him today. We will um, focus mostly on me today, but he will be part of this podcast later in the season. We'll have him on as a guest and he and I will share together, um, about his story, but I just want everyone to know that he's given that permission. So, but, um, realizing that I, uh, as he's struggling, I, that the tools that I had as a parent weren't working. They had, um, the kind of, I say it, you do it. I'm the parent, you're the child. This is the way life goes. Um, wasn't really having an impact, a positive impact with him. So it was, it worked with the other kids. So you have four kids, and Jacob is the second. But the other three uh, were responsive or kind of the stuff that you learned from, from books or classes or whatever seemed to Yes, and I working. would say seems to work is a good way of putting it. Seemed to um, work. Because I think a lot of kids will, whether they like it or not, they recognize that the parent's the adult. And, um, we'll just kind of work around it, whether they, um, they just don't push someone's buttons so that life is easier for them sure, or they just comply because they're a compliant child. Um, so even though we would say working, but it, that kind of, it seems to be working, um, kind of, uh, introduces that we have a, a rubric, like, uh, something that's like, oh, this is working because why, what makes it determine that we would say this is working? And maybe because the child is complying. Yeah. I yeah. say don't do this. So, well, you know, kind of a, maybe an innocuous example would be I had told my kids when they were young that when we went to church, 
I didn't have a lot of restrictions, but they couldn't wear shirts with pictures or words. Mm-hmm. Just, um, I th- we're just going to look a little nicer at church. I'm not putting on a lot of restrictions, but no yeah. shirts with pictures or words. And so they can comply, yeah. but I, that doesn't mean I'm, I know what their heart condition is. And right. are they not wearing that to church because they're happy? Oh, I'm so glad mom made that decision. Yeah. Or are they making that decision because they know they're going to get in trouble and the rest of the day is going to be bad? Or do they really, are they really angry inside because I've made that decision? So you may have gotten the behavior. Yes. They, they don't wear a shirt with words or pictures. Um, and so we say it worked. And maybe they don't wear a shirt with words or pictures without argument or um, being defiant and we would say that it worked when kind of what you're saying is there actually still could be a miss yes that that we got the outward behavior but we still don't know what's going on in their heart yes and um so I think that's kind of how I operated for a long time was just this is how I I don't I almost I wouldn't have said this but I was operating out of the I'm not I don't care about your heart I care about your actions mm-hmm. um I think thinking at the time that eventually the heart would come. Sure. Um, Recognizing that obedience to God and obedience to your parents is the best way to go. Yeah. And so do you think at that time you would have said, um, like if somebody had asked you, like um, that you would have said, yes, I'm going after their heart, even though functionally it was the behavior. Yes. Yes, definitely. I think I would have said that that's something that would come in time, that that's God's, you know, God's job is to, you know, change their heart and, um, and that's still true. Yeah. God is, you know, God will, um, is in charge of a child's heart in that sense, but there's kind of recognizing now there's a way about going and nurturing and, um, and being available to see what's behind and come alongside as opposed to just kind of that dictate um, yeah. how life is going to be. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's easier uh, for, for the parent, right? Like if you just would do what I say, then like, I'm not going to get frustrated. We're going to be on time. Um, but yeah. I think the behavior is what we see first. It's, yes. that's what it feels like we can have a handle on our grasp. Like, don't do that. Do this. And the heart is a little bit more nebulous or a little bit more and it's hidden. Hidden, yes. And and depending on the age of the child, they may not even understand what's in there. Yeah. Um, they may not even understand what their heart, where their heart is and what that means. So we can, as parents, think we got the behavior, so that means we got the heart. But actually, we're wrong. Yeah. That, that, that's hard, especially if the child is, um, yeah, like, compliant. And yeah. Yeah. And so I think um, kind of going through our parenting years and years and then seeing the struggles that Jacob was having. And some of that came out in just defiant behavior mm-hmm. and rec- And so then we're just taking that as defiant behavior and not looking at what's behind, what's his heart, where is his, where are his emotions? Why is the defiant behavior? We're not asking those questions in the beginning. So the other kids weren't necessarily being defiant. They were complying. Um, and now all of a sudden, here's, here's one child that's 
even even saying he's being defiant, um, but not knowing what. So then it kind of becomes it's it's a him problem or it's a him issue. Yeah, I I operated several years out of the this is your issue, not mine. I'm the parent. Um, these are the guardrails that you need to live within. And, um, but he's also very good with words and very intelligent. And, um, and so he can talk circles around (laughs) anybody. And so it was very difficult for me. And because I can't, I was more likely to just put my foot down Mm. and say, conversation over, you need to go. And we can talk about this later. So then you would use your authority as the parent. Yes. And kind of shut, either shut the conversation down. um, Yeah, because I didn't have, I don't have that, uh, that ability. And um, I'm not someone who likes to argue. Mm -hmm. And so it was a way to get out of that. And because I was the parent, it was just, I'm going to put my foot down. We're done. Um, little little knowing, I didn't really know at the time, what I came to learn was that when I did that, when I put my foot down and stopped the conversation and said, you need to go to your room or whatever it was, um, he was seeing that as rejection. Mm. Is you won't engage with me, therefore you um. don't love me. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he didn't quite understand all that was wrapped up into that. He just knew that when I said that, I didn't love him. Yeah. And it took a while, but it had to come to a head. And several instances that um, that brought that to its head um, were pretty dramatic, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. But it was more of my, I just came to that point where I didn't know what else to do. Um, at one point, you know, I'd taken away everything I could take away, right? He didn't have access mm-hmm. to a phone. I mean, I think at one point we might have even take, taken the door off of his room. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't have access to any kind of um, electronics. And, you know, we just kind of taken the things away we thought we could take away because that, you know, as a teenager, that's, you know, what else kind of yeah. do they have? And when you were doing that, <laughs> when you were kind of taking the things away or taking the door off the room. What were you guys, what were you after? What were you wanting? Like, what were you hoping would change by doing that? I think we were hoping that he would have a heart change. Um, and it kind of, it, it's so it's interesting because it feels so silly to me now mm-hmm. knowing what I know, but it really did feel like I didn't have anywhere else to go. Yeah, And I, I also, you know, you do as a parent, you love your child so much and you fear for their safety and you fear that as this defiant behavior continues, you know where it leads. You have enough people that you know in your life whose kids have gone off the rails or gone into drugs or gone into, you know, whatever it was and they're in jail or on the street or, you know, whatever it is. And so your brain goes down the line and so you kind of know if this attitude doesn't change, if they don't humble themselves under under some sort of authority that the trajectory of their life doesn't look good yeah and so kind of there's this this deep desire for their well-being yeah and their future well-being and wanting the heart change wanting the attitude change um and having all of the the books and the stuff that that you read but it just wasn't working 
in this situation um, in the way that you were hoping it would. And so kind of, it sounds like almost getting exasperated in that the stuff you were trying just wasn't working. Like, okay, we'll try this, we'll take all this away. And, yeah. and ironically, as, as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, like, okay, like if somebody took the, took stuff away from me, that doesn't make me be like, oh, exactly. I want to do what oh, you I want me to do. I love my parents I so lo- much more you now. You love me so much. Like, <laughs> yes. it, it actually, <laughs> yes. like some, but I don't think we're in that mindset that this isn't going to be like, uh, promote connection or promote. Um, what we want, what we're after, and what we're hoping for, it's actually working against us. Yeah, I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the experience. I mean, I I was the compliant child growing up. So my parents said something, I did it. And it wasn't like, um, just didn't seem that big of a deal. I may not have liked it, but just kind of went along with it. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't have a box for this defiance. Yeah. And I didn't have tools yeah. Of how to reach a child that is uh, obviously struggling with something that I don't have any experience with. And at the time, didn't know. So even even you had to come to, to some self-aware, self-awareness, self-acknowledgement that you didn't have this category and you didn't have the tools, you didn't have this box. Um, and so almost you were experiencing your limitations or oh, your inability. Yes, yes. But that's that would be a hard realization for for you it, it seems. Yeah, it was a hard hard process cuz here I thought I had what I needed um mm-hmm. coming to the realization that I didn't have what I needed as a parent to reach this child and and it's my responsibility. Yeah. I'm the parent. So not in an authoritarian type of way, but in a how do I figure out myself so that I can help him? So that's actually a shift to being like the focus on him to figure stuff out to the focus on you to be like, what do you need to do? Yeah. Is that yeah. kind of what, how did that happen? How did? And so it came when uh, Jacob had, had to spend some time in a uh, mental health facility in Phoenix or Tempe. And it was at that moment, I was like this full realization because I, because he was not in the home for those several days, it's like now your brain can slow down Mm. and think. Yeah. Because I was kind of on this like perpetual anxious, like, uh, you know, you're always, aware of what's going on, but you can't stop and you can't yeah. think. You're kind of in this survival mode. Yeah. And so he he's there. I think I can stop. I can think. It's, okay, who do I know that can, you know, give me something to read? That's like the first thing. I thought, what, what can I read? I need to read yeah. something. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Parenting book of some sort that I obviously don't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I reached out and was given a couple of books. And one of them was called The Connected Child. Um, written by David Cross and Karen Purvis. And while they had written it geared towards foster and adoptive parents, it still speaks to just good, healthy parenting and shepherding and coming alongside a child in a way that builds trust and connection. 
And in that book, they talk about the attachment styles. And that's the point at which I was like, that's where I realized what was kind of broken in a sense, or just maybe not fully developed in me Mm. that was preventing me from connecting with Jacob. Wow. And I would say preventing me from connecting with all four of my kids in a way that was beneficial. Wow. So it's a sobering realization that you haven't been connecting and that there's something that you also were doing that was contributing um, in an unhelpful way. Yeah. And that's hard. Like, I just want to like take a minute and be like, that's, you know, I think as parents, we want to be like, like we're doing it right. And it's easier to be like, okay, it's just the child is being defiant. The child is disobeying. It's the child's heart. If they would just, but to kind of take a step back and be like, what am I doing? What am I bringing to the table? And how am I contributing that um, is making it harder or isn't unhealthy? Like I'm contributing in ways to that I might have to take a look at. Yeah. And coming to this realization when your child is 17, mm-hmm. a year away from moving out of the house, um, was really sobering and thinking, man, if I had known some of this material when he was young, how much different the trajectory could have been. Yeah. So even, even the age, cause that, that sounds like, wow, you hear, like if we're thinking like, oh, a six or seven year old, but you're saying 17 mm-hmm. and it could feel hopeless or just being like, well, it's over. They're moving out. It's done. But yeah, this- I could have decided, you know what? We've got a year left. I just need to hang on. And then he's out. Yeah. He's already saying he's out. And at that point I could have just said, well, just got to hang on for another year. Yeah. And, and yet there's, I don't, I want connection. I want him to come home for holidays or yeah. I want him to want to be home. Yeah. And I, at that point, I was not ready to give up. Yeah. I love uh, this because kind of what you're saying is it's never too late. Yes. It's that. So even if it's an adult child or a, right they're junior, senior in high school, you can make a trajectory change now. Yeah. It's never too late. Never too late. So never too late with anybody to to move in that kind of healthier attachment style and trust and connection. So you kind of had the space um, when he was in the mental hospital. It kind of be like you weren't in survival mode. You got to thinking. You kind of reached out and you started reading the connected child learning about attachment styles, and that really um, helped and kind of changed the tra- trajectory. Yeah. Um, is, before we go into the attachment styles, is there anything else that would be kind of pertinent for the listeners to know or to hear? Um, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it, there's a, I mean, we will talk a lot about kind of how, some of the more details in the midst of that when Jacob comes on. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was just this sadness um, that I didn't want to lose him. And I didn't want to, uh, I wanted so badly to connect with him. I, I wouldn't have had that word um, before mm-hmm. I read the book. Yeah. But. I was no, I had, I think I had come to that kind of humbling place of, I no longer felt like I wanted to win. Mm. 
I um, wanted I wanted to I, I wanted to learn how to parent him. So there was some aspect of when he was growing up, there was I'm going to win, and that looked like okay, this conversation is over. Go to your room, which he experienced as rejection, mm-hmm. and you didn't know he was experiencing it that way. But kind of like I am going to be the winner, even if that's not what you consciously were thinking. There was right, um, and you kind of had to give to give that up like okay i i want relationship connection with him and and i love that that you said you you experienced sadness you know because i think sometimes it's hard to to look at our own feelings and what we're thinking feeling inter- how we're interpreting and so that there was sadness cuz you didn't want to lose it so there's also oh. fear like you were going to lose him even though right like he's going to go out and he's never going to want to come home again and I think uh, some of that sadness actually manifested itself as anger. Mm-hmm. Um, I was angry on the surface because it's easier to be angry than to be sad. Yeah. Um, and so it wouldn't have looked like sadness at the time. Yeah. It might have looked like frustration or anger. But that's an easier emotion because yeah. it, it moves the... Um, uh, responsibility onto the other person. Yeah. But sadness recognizes that there's something in me that I'm not doing. Yeah. Or that I could be doing. Yeah. Um, that I'm not doing that something that that's maybe helpful. Um, yeah. And so that's that was what was underneath. Anger feels like there's there's action. Like yeah. I, I I'm going to do something. Where where sadness is we feel more um, limited. We experience our limitations. Um, but I, I remember reading somewhere, and I'm trying to remember where I read it, where um, the author talked about um, people who, who blame, it, blame others for kind of what's going on. It's actually an inability for them to manage their own emotions. And yeah. There, there's something emotionally going on with them, and they're having a hard time and inability, so it's easier to, to blame. We all have a certain capacity to handle emotions, some people have a, a larger capacity. Some people have very shallow capacity. I think I, that's what I've kind of worked on over the last several years is my own capacity to handle emotions. Yeah. And I think my, my capacity was fairly shallow in the beginning, which is why I had to shut certain things down because I couldn't handle it. Um, I didn't know where to go with it, what to do with it. And so my capacity to handle emotions um, was pretty shallow. But then working on that and recognizing emotions are good. Emotions tell us something. Um, it's okay to have those emotions. It's okay to cry in front of people even. Like, I'm so much more comfortable with someone crying in front of me now than I ever used to be. <laughs> used mm-hmm. to be I mm-hmm. don't want to go there. I don't know mm-hmm. what to do with it. Um, even, but Yeah, even even you saying like, I need, I think we'd all be like, oh, I can handle emotions. But in reality, to handle our own disappointment and our sadness, to be able to say, I'm sad. And I'm sad about this. And this is, when I'm sad, this is, what do I do with that, that sadness? And um, emotions manifest themselves physiologically, right? Yeah. Like, like we feel it. And, but it's not like a broken leg, you know, <laughs> yes. right? It's like yes. I'm feeling this, this pain or this thing within, and I don't know what to do with it, how to feel it, how to, how to process it. And it actually could be scary. Yeah. Because if I acknowledge that I'm sad, um. I'm also maybe acknowledging my limitations or my inability, or there's something that I did that contributed. And yeah, a lot goes into it. It's and that something that happened in the past, you, you can't change it. Yeah. So there's a, 
I had to kind of come to this. If God had wanted me to know that information when he was little, yeah, he would have given it to me. Yeah. And he would have made space for that when he was right. little. But right. he didn't do that. Right. He had both of him and I on a different He's writing our stories differently. Mm-hmm. He has Jacob on um, his storyline for his own purpose and for his glory, just like he has mine, and it's different. Mm-hmm. And this is what ours looks like. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of one of the things that I think helped me to kind of go from continually kind of beating myself up over it yeah. to, you know what, what I, what I have do I, did I enjoy that process? No. Yeah. Would I change it? No. Yeah. And I think you hear a lot of people say that, and there's not a box for like, why wouldn't you want to change it? It would be so much better. But then Jake and I would not have this deep connection that we have today uh-huh. that you'll hear about later if we hadn't gone through that together. Yeah. Um, and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that. And it's because God wrote it, and God's the best author. Yeah. Yeah, and we may not like how he's writing at the time. At but, the time, oh sure, right? Like, and and even it was not pleasant. Yeah, how there was this like, oh, if I would have known this back then, I could have done differently, and that we wouldn't be experiencing this pain now. Yeah, um, but that's not the case. It can't go back and change it. And God's timing and authorship is is perfect. Um, yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean, mean it's, it's not painful, and it doesn't mean it's not continually experiencing some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, pain and doesn't mean it's perfect now yeah it's just we're in his story and not trying to live our own yeah that's great so let's move into the the attachment styles so and it this even gave you language um yes like the word connect i want right like it gave you words to even verbalize kind of what you were thinking and feeling so yeah talk to us about the the attachment styles yeah so part of the um it's called Trust-Based Relational Intervention. That's Karen Purvis's um, institute that she developed. And in that, we talk about attachment styles, and there's four attachment styles. And so the first one is secure. It's the one that we would want to move into if we're not in it already. And if you're in it, it's where, what part of that secure can I improve on? And then there's the three we call insecure attachment styles. Um, One is the dismissive attachment style. If you look up on the computer, the different names, they, lots of different places have different names for each one of them, and we won't go into that. But so the dismissive attachment style, there's the entangled or also known as preoccupied attachment style. And then the disorganized attachment style. And... The disorganized, we won't really go into, but that really would, um, someone who's experienced a lot of complex trauma, mm-hmm. um, or even one singular trauma that they didn't address and is now affecting mm. their daily life. Um, they could, they could have aspects of that disorganized attachment. Um, the, the two in the middle, I'll kind of go over, but then we'll we'll really spend more time in that that secure at the end. So the two in the middle, the entangled attachment style is um, a relationship that well, I like the word entangled because it really speaks to the relationship is somebody who has a hard time 
with emotions and not taking some someone else's emotions on. They lack boundaries. Um, they a lot of times the relationship looks like they have a hard time seeing that person's needs. They meet someone's needs based off their own needs. So I'm thirsty. You must be thirsty. You need mm. to drink. You know water. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you water because I'm thirsty. Um, this would make me mad, so I'm going to protect you from that because mm -hmm. that that's how I'm feeling. Yeah. Um, those kinds of emotions. Um, and um, there's a lot of they that person probably grew up with somebody who was only was when they were there they were attentive to their needs, but when they were not available they weren't available at all. Mm. Um, so there's just con this constant, I'm trying to keep somebody's attention. I'm trying to keep that love. I'm trying to keep that because mm -hmm. I don't know when that's going to go away. Wow. Um, so with kids, like with babies, you'll see it's the baby who, you know, they're not crying because you're there and you're trying to comfort them, but yeah. they don't want you to leave. So they just kind of keep that, mm. that up so that you don't, because um, they don't know when you're going to come back again. So they just kind of keep up that kind of upset. Um, so that's some of that um, entangled or we also call preoccupied um, attachment style. Then we have the dismissive um, or avoidant attachment style. And that is a relationship that is um, really does have a lot a hard time with emotions. Um, and so it looks a lot, well, that it, that's the attachment style that I had, um, have. And, um, so that's the, I can't handle your emotions. So you need to go, hmm. um, then you're being overly emotional. So you need to go to your room, um, have a really hard time with emotions. Um, as a baby, those are the children who get put in, put down for a nap, put down for bed, and doesn't matter how long they cry, that's where they're supposed to be. And so that's, there's no um, attending to um, them until kind of nap time's over or bedtime's over. Um, they need to, if they're upset, um, you'll, you'll be fine. Mm. Um, and they're crying, but, you know, the wound that you got doesn't deserve all that. So um, basically go handle your emotions by yourself. Um, so not not really helping them navigate. They're they're not only not helping them, but dismissing them. Yes, it's the the dismissive part. Like, yeah, that dismissive. You're fine. You're. It's not that big of a deal. You're overreacting. Right. Stop. Stop yeah. being affected. Yeah. Stop being affected, but there's no help in helping them regulate that or or figuring out how to stop. Yeah, yeah. There's uh. That's kind of the. Between those two styles, there's the, um, I often use the kid who's fallen on the playground. So the dismissive is, you're fine, it's not even bleeding, mm -hmm. go play. And then there's the rushing in, and the kid's fine, but the parent's treating them like they've got a broken leg. Mm. Um, there's these two, like, n neither one is attending to what that child actually needs. Mm. Um what is that child actually feeling? Um, and, and so there's just the, that lack of ability to, to see and ask the right questions. Um, what do they need? And be okay if they don't need a hug mm. or if they do. Yeah. Um, if they 
they need a little break from the playground and sit next to you or they don't. And being okay with both of those because it's that child's emotions, not your own. Yeah. That's the key wow. part of that, right? In that yeah. moment. So kind of like one question might be like, what do you need right now? What will help you? And helping the child verbalize that. And maybe even helping, depending on how old they are. Like, do you need a break? Do you want to sit next to me? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't see any blood, but would you like a Band-Aid anyway? I yeah. mean, maybe they feel like they do. Or maybe they want a yeah. break or maybe they don't. Maybe they want a drink of water. Yeah. You know, it's... The, the Band-Aid thing, I, I, <laughs> I can see, you know, like, you're not bleeding. You don't need a Band-Aid. And so even, even parents being like, they want a Band-Aid, being like, oh, okay, you think it'll help? Sure, here's a Band-Aid. And you, you go through 20 Band-Aids because they always want a Band-Aid. Yes, they always want a Band-Aid and only last 30 seconds. Yeah. But... That to that child, that particular child, because we all see and feel love in different ways. Yeah. That may look like attentive care to that child. Yeah. That you took the time to yeah. put on a Band-Aid. And they, one of the things that we talk about is when you put on a Band-Aid, you have to look at them and yeah. you also touch them in, yeah. a, you know, an appropriate way. We say, always yeah. like to qualify that. Um, and so a lot of that's just, they want to be attended to. It has nothing to do with the Band-Aid. It has everything to do with your attention, yeah. your time, and your touch. So I can kind of hear different people maybe, maybe saying or thinking, like, um, in that moment, then are we enabling that child? We're kind of enabling this bad behavior. They just want attention. They're just seeking attention, and this actually is not helping them. Yeah, and it can feel like that. Um, all children are wired in different ways, and some of them need more attention and some of them don't. And the kids who really do need more of that kind of one-on-one -on -one attention, um, it can feel like the more we give them, the more they want. Mm -hmm. And and yet, as we process each each interaction, we are building that capacity that we're talking about that we want adults to have, the capacity to handle emotions, the capacity to feel and then move on. Yeah. Um, what we're limiting, and especially in those children who need more and we're shutting it down, is now we're we're limiting their capacity to handle their own emotions and other people's emotions going wow. forward. And so yes, it is a lot. But at the each time we do it, we are building into them that ability to not stop in the middle, but actually process through that emotion and to move on. And that's what we want. We want them it to be a cycle, a cycle of need and resolution, mm. a cycle of um, hurt, pain, sadness, and then back to happiness again, or yes. contentedness, I should say. So it's, it's going somewhere. Cause it's, I think what people are really wanting, like we're going to, we're going to move on, but I love how you talked about it's, um, as parents, we're helping our children build the capacity. So in this moment, we might not always have that kind of long-term, I'm, I'm helping you become an adult that has the capacity to, um, handle your emotions, manage them, identify them, uh, determine me meeting the needs of them, processing them, and then moving on. But we can either li we can limit that by dismissing them, or um, kind of overtaking them and being entangled with them. Yeah, and that leads us to that last the the secure attachment style, and the secure attachment style has four key abilities, and that is they have the ability to receive care. They have the ability to give care. They have the ability to negotiate their needs. And they have the ability to be, um, we call that the autonomous self. 
And I'll clarify that one just because it can be confusing. When you're when you're talking about the secure these four abilities within the secure attachment style, um, are you talking about the child being able to do this or the adult or both? Well, we're talking about. Um, I mean, it attachment styles um, are actually set by the time the child is like a year or year and a half. Wow. So they're we're talking pre-verbal is when your attachment style is set. But as for this conversation, we're kind of talking about an adult's ability and the, what they're trying, what they're going to pass on. Because whatever your attachment style is, you're, that's what you're passing on. It's what you know, so it's what you do. Okay. So kind of for the, the adults, I have the ability themselves to receive care, give care, negotiate their own needs, and be their autonomous self, and wanting to pass that on to the child. Yeah. The, the child's attachment style is set very young, but kind of what I'm hearing is just because it's set young doesn't mean that it can't move into secure if it's not there. It would yeah. just take work. We call that earned secure. So I would say that's my, my attachment style now is more of that earned secure. Mm. I started out as probably more of a, and you can kind of be combinations of them. They're not all like their own set category and you can't move from there. Yeah. Um, so mine probably initially was a dismissive and secure together, but I've probably moved more into that earned secure attachment style. That, so you can earn it. Our brains yeah. are changeable. Our, we call, we say brains are plastic and that they are moldable and changeable. And yeah. so, um, and that changes when there's some sort of intervention and intervention doesn't have to be in like, um, structured intervention. It could be like the fact that I read the book and I yeah. went to trainings. Yeah. Um, so now I know, I know differently so I can do differently. So when you say earned, secu earned secure, um, what are you, well, one, just the idea that something has to be earned and as parents, there's something that we have to earn from the child. And what are, what are we earning? What? We're earning trust. We're earning trust. Trust is the so, basis of all relationships. Um, you can't have um, an effective a relationship without um, any sort of trust. So then there has to be acknowledgement that the child, that there isn't trust, that the child doesn't trust the parent. Yeah. And that would be a hard realization. That would be a hard um, thing to, to acknowledge that, that we, it's just not inherent. We don't just, yeah. just because we're their parent and have this maybe authority position doesn't mean that that there is inherent trust. And that they're in um, in a perfect world, right? When God comes and redeems all things, trust will be. Mm -hmm. Trust is inherent. It's built in. We have, yeah. that's all we'll know. Wow. Yep. Um, so when a child is conceived and is born, and there, the trust is there. God yeah. biologically hardwires us to want a relationship with our biological parents. Yes. Yep. So when a child is born... And we think about even um, that child is put up for adoption. And it doesn't matter if the, the a new adoptive parents are in the room when that child is, is birthed. Right. Um, because that child did not go home with its biological mother, yeah. trust is broken. Yeah. That trust that was built in with this person yeah. is now broken. Yeah. In a, in a non-fallen world, yeah. there wouldn't be um, adoption. Right. Right. Because there wouldn't be... Um, parents that for whatever reason whether it's drugs or whatever whatever the array of reasons yeah um 
and there would just be trust like there wouldn't yeah and so there's a variety of reasons why trust can be broken early but you think about even just a baby who um in that kind of dismissive attachment style who is um put to bed and kind of has to cry himself to sleep every night um that that's a form of broken trust because that child is now responsible for his own emotions. Wow. He doesn't know it, obviously. Yeah. He has to figure out how to work through it, but yeah. um, because there's not this kind of give and take. Now it doesn't mean every second that child cries, you have to attend, but it has, there's like um, just this kind of consistency in the attention that allows a child to know that you're there, you're for them, you're meeting their needs in a way that builds trust. Yeah. So sometimes as parents, we can get focused on a skill, like, because maybe, like, the, the child learns how to fall asleep on their own, which, so, hey, like, there's, this is kind of what we're talking about before, like, there's success. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they can do it, but ultimately it could have a longer, like, They've learned they have to, um, what did you say? They're, they're responsible for their own emotions. Their own emotions, which they are, but when they're little, they need help. They don't have that capacity. They don't have the capacity And I yet. know one of the big things is people will say a child can, you know, they're being manipulative, manipulative mm-hmm. um, as an infant because they know every time I come in and then they can, they'll cry and then they, I, they'll know I'll come in again. Mm-hmm. And um, it's hard to reframe that in our own minds when we're convinced that that's a child being manipulative. Yeah. That they don't have, that's a manipulative behavior is a... Um, a behavior um, as a prefrontal cortex behavior that's um, but they don't not even ha- developed yet. That's not even developed yet. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting how I think we can label something with the, you know, as adults, we know manipulation, we've experienced it or yeah. we've seen it or we've done it. And so now we see something that looks like it and now we've named it and labeled it and said, that's what it is in the child. And in, in some ways now we're kind of speaking um, a lie over that child yeah and oh they're manipulative they're just doing this for attention um as if that's a negative thing um they just need to learn not to be manipulative but they don't even have the the capacity the for capacity that. for that that's, yeah and they're what they're actually doing is saying i love you i want connection with you and they don't have the capacity to know that you're tired and you've been yeah. up 10 times already yeah. and they just don't have that in them. And some yeah. kids just need a lot of attention. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they don't ever have to cry. It doesn't mean, right. you know, all those things. Um, but to, it only increases a parent's frustration to um, call that behavior yeah. manipulative. Yeah. Cause now if I'm calling it manipulative, that's going to determine what I do next. And, and like, how it I gives adjust. me the right to walk away. Yeah. Because now it's, I'm, I'm ignoring this behavior that I'm labeling as bad. Yeah. Yeah. And so kind of opening it up to like, there could be other things going on other than them being manipulative. Yeah. And so I think we do that um, in, we, we have the potential to do that in a lot of ways, especially when they're, when they're young and they don't have the capacity and because children are exhausting. And yes. I think we need to recognize 
that there are parents out there who have infants and they are exhausted um, all the time. And I know that. I had four kids and we also had five foster kids and they were all infants. So I did this over and over and I was exhausted a lot of the time. Even even as an adult, realizing and acknowledging our own capacity, mm-hmm. right? Like when I'm tired, my capacity is less. Diminished, yes. yes it's greatly. Diminished. Yes, I'm tired, <laughs> I'm hungry. And we don't make good decisions. Yes, right, I'm gonna just eat something, I don't know. Yeah. But, or I just hit a busy day yeah. and this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing. And to be like my capacity. So what do I do when my capacity is lowered? This actually just happened the other day. Like yesterday was um, nonstop busy. Like it was like one thing after the, the next. And I didn't get home from work until it was like after six. And I walked in and my son started saying something to me. And it was interesting because I had to say, I want to hear what you have to say but I don't have the capacity at the moment. I Can I go change? Can I take a breath? Um, I, I just need space to like not talk because I care, but I'm... <laughs> and that was the healthy part of what we call that negotiating your needs. Mm, mm-hmm. that, was so, that was a very healthy way of saying, recognizing that they need your attention, but saying, I can't even meet your need because I have some needs of my own. Yes. But... How about I go do what I need to do so that I can be there for you? And there's that negotiating of of needs. And he could have come back. Let's say he, maybe, you know, something really bad happened. He's like, he could have come back and said, no, you really need to know this. Yeah. And you would have had to orient yourself around that. Yes. Um, But that would have been that kind of healthy exchange. Yeah. Yeah. So acknowledging and being able to say, like, there's something where this not every day. Like, some days, like, I come home and. Yeah. They start talking and I'm, yeah. Yeah, when my, when my youngest uh, was really into Minecraft mm-hmm. um, and he wanted to tell me all sorts of stories and he, he just wanted to go on and on and on. And because I had learned some of these, this, um, this information and negotiating needs and so I just sat him down and, and said that. I, I really want to hear you sometimes I'm not going to be able to. And so what, let's, let's start off with, why don't you ask me if you can tell me a story? Yeah. Let's start off with you asking. And that way I can be honest with you and say, yeah, I've got a couple of minutes. Why don't you tell me a story? Or you know what? I'm paying attention to traffic right now, or I'm making yeah. dinner right now, or I'm doing this right now. Can you give me 10 minutes? Yeah. I love this because it's orienting them to be like, oh, other people, other people, yes, have stuff going on in their life. They become more, they can become more other centered. Like, just because I want to tell you something right now doesn't mean it's the best time. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah, it, it gives you permission to to not be ready in that moment. Yeah, and but it, yeah, it, they they learn that other people got stuff going on, but they also see how you actually do want to listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's real. it's just both sides. It's really, it's that healthy trust building relationship. Yeah. Can you talk to us about receiving, so the four abilities, receive, we kind of touched on the negotiation, which I didn't even know we were doing that. So. <laughs> but, but the, the receiving care, what does that mean? Receiving care is just that, um, as an adult, some of us don't, 
we're, you know, we'll make a meal for anybody. We'll go out and take care of anybody's, you know, mm-hmm. we'll volunteer all over the place. But when it happens to us, we, well, some of us don't even recognize that we're worthy of that mm-hmm. um, or that it qualifies so that, oh, no, I'm fine. Um, I had uh, sprained my ankle years ago. And I have four kids and my husband was going out of town. So I can't necessarily get around very well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my husband said, should I call someone and get some meals? And I'm thinking, no, Mm -hmm. I got the kids can help with stuff and I'll figure it out basically. Um, And I don't really even think at the time it was pride. Mm -hmm. I just think I didn't qualify. And I don't even know if there was an instance where I would have felt like I would have qualified. Um, Like there's something that we have to qualify for this to be met. Like, like, okay, if I was deathly ill or having surgery or, but like I can move, I can, they can do it. So, and it, so one worthy, Mm -hmm. but then two ability like to receive a meal. It's not, nobody's saying that you, you don't have the ability to, but it's, it's let's just take this one thing off your plate. Yeah. Yes. You can eat cereal for dinner. That's, that's right. But allowing other people to be a blessing and um, saying you are worthy of attention and love. And so being able to receive that from people. Um, and maybe there is an element of pride depending on who you are and sure. w- the way it is. Um, but I think there's, there's just a, an ability that says it's okay to for someone to meet a need. Yeah. And that there doesn't necessarily have to be a degree of okay, now it's okay for the the need to be met. Yeah. Um yeah. And w- there was there was a family from church that this is I think God has grown me specifically in this because I think the the default is to be like no no no, no I don't need it. I don't want to put other people out. I don't want to um, you know, whatever, or I'm not worthy, or I can do it. There, yeah. the, there's a myriad of, of reasons why we would say no to receiving care. Um, but there was a family that, um, they were at Costco and they were like, had the idea that they wanted to bring our family pizza, but there's nobody was sick. Nobody was out of town. Nobody had surgery. Nobody had a baby. Yeah. It was, we were totally fine and so she called and she said we're at Costco and we would really like to just bring your family Costco pizza for dinner and it was the weirdest thing to to say like like yes we will we'll receive that and so they came and they brought us they brought us dinner and I think before I would have been like no 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 that's okay yeah but to my my kids were like yeah family (laughs) They, they that was so nice of them they just Brought us dinner. And so even to receive care. It's a healthy ability. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and that kind of goes along with giving care and the ability to think outside, uh, think of somebody else to provide care for them. And that um, I, I, don't, I don't have any statistics or anything. And I think a lot of people potentially could you know struggle with that and it could you could talk about personality and you could but in the church that that's almost kind of a a culture that can be developed is 
giving care, donating, yeah. you know, things or your yeah. time or your talents. And I think we talk a lot about, you know, care and, um, and I, I think sometimes we, when we talk about giving care, a lot of times it, it kind of will revolve around something like meals, which mm-hmm. that is care or cleaning or doing a task. Um, but there's other ways to, to give care, but I'm kind of thinking about something that we talked about a little bit earlier and maybe it was in the entangled where they would say, this is my need. So I'm going to do this for you. Yeah. And it might not be that need. So it seems to me like there might be a little bit of, um, yeah, that we, we think, Oh, I'm really good at giving care, but really maybe we're actually not. Yeah. I don't know. And that's true. I mean, if you have a, you have, you know, you see someone at church and they don't look very happy um, and your instinct could be either, well, we'll just let them be. Um, or you could say, this is what I would want someone to do for me and and go and engage in it. And depending on how well you know that person and what do they actually need and... Um, and asking whether did you ask questions about you know what they need or you just kind of rush in and um and meet a need that actually wasn't there you know there's there can be a lot of that I think miscommunication or um mishandled needs um we can have where someone steps in even in um an argument and wants to fix something Mm. they're trying to give someone care protect somebody when that person maybe didn't need it um some of that yeah so the giving giving care is a little bit more um i don't know if tricky is the right word but it it calls for more self-awareness and other awareness and honoring what the other person is saying like whether they need space or they want to talk or don't want to talk or um maybe so maybe there's less assumptions yeah, I think yeah, knowing knowing yourself well enough that I I perceive this in a in one way but I my perceptions might not be right. Yeah. And so asking um but also you know there's that dismissive whereas that makes me uncomfortable so I'm not going to engage in it. So I'm not going to yeah. push in where I think someone's hurting because I don't have the capacity to handle that. Um and so that's also can be a barrier is not having um, the ability to push into something that you see um, either in your home, in your family or at church or out, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think in both of them, it kind of goes back to what you were saying before about the, the child that is on the playground and gets hurt or something and, and um, honoring what they say. Like one child might say, yes, I want to sit down. One might say, no, I want to go play. Yes, I want to hug. No, I don't. And honoring what they have said is their need. Yeah. And um, and so either not go, doing less than, like, oh, I actually don't think you, you, you don't need a Band-Aid. Or to be, um, to go over, like, not only am I going to give you a Band-Aid, I'm going to give you um, ice cream also. And I don't, you know, like, like maybe putting on too much, which maybe would go into the entangled then. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, and as a parent, you can step in and say, well, that, that child is crying hysterically, they probably shouldn't go continue to play, you know, if that's what they're wanting. Yeah. And there's that negotiating again. Yeah. How about, why don't you come have a drink of water? 
And then if you still want to go play, you can play. And so, yeah. you know, sometimes parents do have a, a level of insight yeah. um, that says, I, I do see you and I know this is what you want, but yeah. let's do this first. And so there's, again, there's that negotiating of needs, gives, allows the child to say what they think they need. The parents say, I think well, this is what you need. Okay, now we're going to figure out um, kind of both sides. I'm not going to dismiss what you want but I'm also not going to give you everything you want, Yeah, you know, on both sides. Yeah. That's really good because it's, it's as the adult, can I negotiate my needs, but also helping them negotiate them. And so their needs, because they might not even know. And right. so giving them options and kind of, yeah, like, Hey, a drink of water is an option. Yeah. And how about that? We get a drink of water, sit for a minute, and then you can go with that. Um, yeah, and I mean, again, as parents, we sometimes we just we do know best. I mean, yeah, we've been on, yeah. we've been around a little longer, yeah. and so, um, but then that also speaks to some of that um, autonomous yeah. um, self in not taking on another person's emotions. Yeah. I have mine. You're allowed to have yours. Yeah, um, you're angry at something. I'm not gonna let. I'm gonna let it affect me in a way that so I can have empathy and sympathy and and engage in that way but I'm not going to turn into that person yeah I'm not going to absorb it and then be that yeah um and that's that can be a hard distinction especially for that entangled attachment style they don't have boxes for how this some of this works out and so they need trusted people to help them work through some of that what that actually looks like because they don't have experience with it. And when you don't have, when you don't have experience with something, it's hard to navigate it. Yeah. So kind of saying like, I can have my feelings and you can have yours and they both can be okay. And, and just because you're not feeling the same way I am feeling about something, um, doesn't equal what, what we might make it equal. Like you don't care or you're not listening or you don't understand it. Yeah. Um, or we may not even um, express emotions the same way. Mm-hmm. Like I could be sad and not crying, or I could be sad and weeping. Um, yeah, or be or be silent. Yeah. <laughs> um, or like you said, you were you were sad, but actually you were ang- it came across as anger. Yeah. Right. So um, there's just a lot of patience, and maybe. Not making assumptions. Yeah, I'm not making, asking good questions Mm -hmm. and just letting people navigate things. And now sometimes we do have to push in if they're not handling something in a way that's God honoring and um, finding times when we can push in or finding someone who they, they do have trust, built trust with to, you know, engage in that. So we don't want to say we're not pushing into stuff that we need to push into, but there is a way to um, just listen and feel something with somebody, yeah. but not take that on and have it affect you in a way that is unhealthy. Yeah. And I think sometimes that can be hard because um, what I've heard a lot, and I think even for myself, I feel like, oh, am I and we hear this word enabling. Yeah. And, I, and what am I, I'm enabling what? <laughs> but I, I, whatever it is, it's not good, right? If if I sit and listen. And I think it just, it takes more time. It slows the process down. And to like sit and to weep with those who weep. 
um, we want it to move somewhere. I want you to move past your sadness. And so sitting and weeping with you doesn't seem like it's going to actually move you to where I want you to go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so like, okay, like, I sat with you. I was sad. You know, spend five minutes. Now, like, let's get up, get over it. Um, yeah. I and mean, so you have a kid who, a child who, they have an ice cream cone and they walk out the store and the ice cream cone, the ice cream falls off the cone. Right now yeah. they can't eat it. Yeah. And now they're crying hysterically. Yeah. Um, as a parent, you could be like, I don't know why they've gone into this mass hysteria yeah. when we could just go in and ask them to replace it. Right. Well, if we go in and replace it, it doesn't fix that. Right. They're still upset. And the whole night's ruined over this little incident. And we feel as an adult like that just wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. What we didn't do was stop in that moment and weep with that child. Yes. And we may not physically weep, right. but we don't have tears in our yeah. eyes, but stop and recognize that that there was a loss there. Even there was a serious could, loss there. Yeah. It, their expectations, the joy, mm -hmm. the whatever that experience was. And because kids all experience stuff in a different way to say that that wasn't a big deal to that child really diminishes who, who God made yeah. that child to be. Yeah. And um, and that's one of the things I had to learn because Jacob feels a lot of things at a really, on a big level. Yeah. And so I think we often kind of minimized the way God created him to feel. Yeah. And he, in a sense, was created to be a blessing for our family in that he felt things big and showed us yeah. the beauty of those feelings. Yeah. And um, we failed to recognize that. Yeah. And so to stop with a child and go, Oh, wow. That was, you know, that, that experience was horrible and it's disappointing sad and, and sad. And um, do you want it to be replaced? I mean, wow. they, they may say they, I mean, I don't see a child saying this, but they may say that, no, I'm, yeah. that was it. I, yeah. I can't enjoy it. And again, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't know why right. they would say that, but yeah. Um, yeah, but they might, but they might. And, and, and I even think asking that question. Just asking the question in and of itself is letting it's having them do the work and not assuming that they just want to go in and have it be fixed. Like taking them in and to be like, yeah, this is this was sad. This is frustrating. It was unexpected. Do you want it to be replaced? And now they're thinking yeah. like, yes, I do. Or you know, and even if they did say no, that is um, they're they're accepting loss. Yes. And that and I allowing them to continue being sad. Yes. And that's okay. They yes. don't need to return to this, you know, mm -hmm. joyous, whatever feeling right away. Yeah. They have to process that. They have to move through it on their own time. And some kids are just going to take a lot longer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some kids bounce back and it's, you know, it, yeah. it's okay. And I think it's hard because if, if they bounce back, like we're like, Wow, that was that was great. That was easy. That yep. was no big deal. And so when we have a child that doesn't maybe bounce back quite as quickly, it it takes more time, energy from us. I experience frustration. Now I have I'm bringing my emotion, my frustration, my impatience. Um, yeah. And how I'm handling it because I just wanted to go, and I could even see in that situation me being like, ugh. I don't want to go back into the store, <laughs> you know? And so like they, and they want to, but that's going to take more time. That's now. Yeah. And let's say that the, 
the ice cream fell off the cone and you were halfway home. Yeah. You may not have the ability to go back to the store right. and replace it. So now you are sitting with a child who has lost. Yes. And you don't have a way to replace it. Yeah. And so helping, even helping them process through those emotions while you're at the store and can replace it is yeah. going to be vital for the times when you get to the point where you can. Yeah. Because they know that you, that you have built that trust um, that says, I would if I could. Yeah. Whereas if you had dismissed it at the, at the time when you could have replaced it. Yeah. When you can't, they're not going to believe that you would yeah. have even if you could. Right. So there's building yeah. those trusts when you can um, wow. for the times when you can't fix it. They know you would if you could. Yeah. And so um, it's it's the trust yeah, and the connection. It's all down to trust. Yeah. Um, well, Darcy, this has been amazing. And there's so much more that we want to go into and talk about. Um, but I think this is a good stepping point going through the the four abilities of the the secure attachment style. And again, that, that book was The Connected Child by Karen Purvis and, and David Cross. David Cross. Um, so Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It's and been good. Yes, we will be back with another episode um, when we're back. Wonderful. 